Welcome to Diving Deeper. I'm your host, Kate Nielsen. Today we'll talk about nuisance flooding, and joining us is Billy Sweet, an oceanographer with NOAA's Center for Operational Oceanographic Products and Services. Hi, Billy. Welcome to our show. Hi, Kate. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Billy, to start off our discussion today, can you explain what nuisance flooding is for our listeners? Nuisance flooding is minor tidal flooding uh, that occurs at high tide, oftentimes associated with minor impacts uh, such as old seawalls being overtopped, water in low-lying areas of roads, uh, stormwater systems that actually have water sort of coming in through the, the outtake pipes, so sort of degrading functionality. Not necessarily widespread or damaging, but just that, minor and relatively easy to navigate around, but becoming more of a problem. And do we see nuisance flooding in all U.S. coastal waters? It is a a national issue. By definition, I use a, a threshold established locally by the weather forecasting offices of the National Weather Service. They have through years of impact monitoring, have established levels at which uh, minor impacts will occur. And they do this with emergency managers. They have these levels uh, established around the country, uh, more so sort of in the East Coast. On the West Coast, waves are an issue, and tide gauges really aren't set up to to sample waves. But flooding occurs on all of our coasts, but the nuisance flooding is becoming more of a issue, let's say, in the mid-Atlantic right now is probably sort of the hot spot of where the, we have the highest frequency of these types of events. Billy, where do we see the greatest impacts from nuisance flooding? Generally, wherever you have a vulnerable population, and when I say vulnerable, maybe they just don't have the, the large seawalls in place, and a population, it's really a nuisance to people. So it's sort of a combination of where people live and where impacts are occurring. The greatest rates of change generally are in areas where relative sea level rise has been highest, but uh, the mid-Atlantic region is particularly uh, susceptible to these types of events by the, just by the fact that they have a lot of nor'easter exposure, uh, a wide continental uh, shelf that readily allows waters to build up when winds start blowing. And as you know, it's a very heavily populated area. Mm-hmm. So right now, that sort of is the area that is really experiencing the greatest frequency of nuisance flooding. Is there anywhere in the U.S. that nuisance flooding is not really an issue or a concern at all? Well, if, if you look at the levels of these nuisance levels that the Weather Service has established, um, you do see some pockets around the country that they're relatively high. Uh, the New England coast, for instance, um, minor impacts don't really occur until waters get over two feet above high tide. Uh, and that may just be due to the simple fact that they are probably accustomed to fairly regular strong nor'easters and their infrastructure has been built in, in such a way and mitigative strategies already in place. There's a few others in the Gulf that may have uh, some strategies, some seawalls already in place due to large hurricanes that have also added to uh, give added protection, like Galveston has a very large seawall, uh, St. Petersburg has a high level. But then again, these are usually uh, in these areas in the Gulf, they're probably protecting a small area. Uh, you go you know, a couple miles away and then uh, very possibly they're susceptible to flooding that some of these other areas may not experience. And can we predict when nuisance flooding will occur for a coastal community? Well, we sure would like to. 
We, we do give a couple days heads up, and that's sort of the role of the National Weather Service. They will issue coastal flood advisories uh, when waters are expected, coastal waters are expected to exceed these local nuisance levels. Uh, if it's a more substantial event, it may be a, a coastal warning when moderate or major flooding will happen. And they generally do this a few days out in advance. So that's sort of our first line of sort of heads up for emergency preparedness. In terms of a seasonal or, or annual type of outlooks that we're experimenting with now, we tend to use sort of history to guide us, and there's two things sort of driving changes that we notice, uh, sea level rise itself as well as climatic patterns associated with the El Nino is, is the primary driver on the east coast and west coast that with a strengthening El Nino, the pattern, the weather patterns tend to be more conducive for uh, nuisance level flooding events to occur. So considering history, we can see that there there is some sort of level of, of predictability. But again, best bets are a few days out when the weather service really is able to track these types of events forming. When you noted that folks may be able to get notice a couple days ahead of time, how do they get this notice? They get their notice. If an event looks like it's going to occur, the weather service gives a few days through their models. They kind of track the the development of extratropical storms. Of course, tropical storms are, are tracked by the hurricane center. But types of events that might materialize and cause nuisance level flooding or, or even greater, sub, more substantial flooding is sort of the role of the local weather forecasting office. And that's what they do. And they, they track whether it's sea levels from expected to be high from, let's say, a, a high tide, a spring tide, a, a perigean tide, mm -hmm. for instance. But it might also be coupled with the fact that there's been uh, large ocean waves or uh, local rain is, is predicted. And so it's one a tool in the forecaster's tool bag to essentially monitor what are the tide levels, what are other factors, and when to issue these these heads up. That's, that's sort of their role, and it's a, a critical piece for, for people being prepared. And how do we measure the impact after a nuisance flooding event? What can we learn from this before the next one? Well, and, and that, that's really sort of the key piece at understanding where impacts occur. You know, historically, big events happen, and people are, are very aware of them. You know, the, the most extreme of them all, the, the types of Sandys and Katrinas that, that happen. Uh, but lesser events are also important, and they may not be a named uh, hurricane, but it could be just a, a strong nor'easter, or maybe it's that sunny day flooding. It generally requires feedback from the public. Uh, the emergency managers oftentimes are the first level of, of observation. What roads are impacted? What roads consistently seem to be impacted? How do you delineate hotspots? It's sort of a current um, challenge that, that we're discussing here at NOAA and elsewhere is when events happen, can we document them so we have a better spatial understanding as to how impacts actually occur and where they occur and, and where are the areas that are reoccurring due to, let's say, nuisance-level floods that are more common than the less common event like the, the hurricane. How does sea level rise affect nuisance flooding in an area? Well, sea level rise is, is sort of the main driver, changing the frequency of these types of events. You know, a half century or so ago, mean sea level was, a, was lower, um, generally in, in most places in the United States. And it took a much sub, more substantial storm to reach elevations that were impacting. Because our elevations of our infrastructure really haven't changed much. Sure, we might have installed seawalls and we might have 
made houses, new houses be built on stilts or, or what have you. But the roads and, and the, the things that are laying on the ground or, or, or subsurface haven't really changed in elevation. And so what sea level has done is it has raised the level of the ocean. Mm -hmm. It's reduced the freeboard between, let's say, the mean sea level and our infrastructure, such that more common tides and storms are now causing impacts when it would have taken a much stronger storm in the past. So over the last few decades, these types of events have become more frequent and more and more frequent and more and more and more frequent. So it's oftentimes a n not a gradual change that we're witnessing right now. Besides sea level rise, are there other factors that may accelerate nuisance flooding? Well, strictly talking about changes in mean sea level, there are you know, a few components to what, uh, what causes sea level to change. There's the climatic portion, such as uh, long-term changes in the ocean uh, volume itself due to thermal expansion or additions of ice melt that actually increases the mass in the ocean. But there's also local uh, vertical land motion that may be occurring for, for non-climatic reasons. It could be natural compaction of sediments or, or a settling of sediments. Um, it could be, uh, which can be further exacerbated by withdrawal of fresh water or gas and oil that actually cause the land to sink, causes a relative change in mean sea level. And that's the primary factor. Uh, when we look at storms themselves, has the storm frequency as storminess changes, there are some cycles that we can note, but in, uh, there really are not long-term changes in the frequency of these types of storms. There, we tend to get uh, you know certain number of nor'easters each year, uh, it, it, so it's not so much the the storminess component is the change in mean sea level that's really sort of driving this this increase in frequency of nuisance flooding. Can you share with us how something like El Nino may make nuisance flooding better or worse in an area? Well, unfortunately, El Nino historically has meant uh, has, has not been a good thing in terms of the frequency of nuisance flooding. It, in many places, it sort of compounds the the effect of sea level rise to begin with. So, we know sea level rise is causing a long-term increase. Um, in many places, this is an accelerating trend to begin with, and El Nino compounds that. So, any given year, it can be above or below your long-term trend, and that's weather. What El Nino typically does, and especially with the stronger, more pronounced El Ninos, is it tends to have sort of a direct oceanic signal along the west coast. You have warmer waters, you have higher sea levels for, for a few reasons, which then just raises the elevation of, of mean sea level, such as, you know, a few decades worth of sea level rise can happen within a year. On the east coast, you tend to have your storms tend to track a little bit more west to east across the, the U.S., and what this does is actually increases the frequency of storms along uh, much of the mid-Atlantic, and in response, a higher frequency of storm surges, which equate to more nuisance flooding. Mm -hmm. What we're actually uh, able to provide is an outlook based upon history with the predicted strength of El Nino provided by uh, NOAA and, and other modeling efforts around the world, and we take sort of an ensemble mean, uh, but we take that in consideration and based upon historical characteristics, um, areas like uh, Sandy Hook, uh, Atlantic City, Lewis, Delaware, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Norfolk, Wilmington, North Carolina, La Jolla, California, San Francisco, Montauk, New York. These the, numerous uh, sites are expected to experience upwards of 33 all the way up to 125 percent 
more nuisance flooding, uh, days with nuisance flooding this coming year than would be expected with by the historical trends themselves. So again, uh, it's sort of a compounding uh, effect, which in this case is not necessarily good news. And in fact, there's four areas, uh, Sandy Hook, New Jersey, Lewis, Delaware, Washington, D.C., and Norfolk, Virginia, that may very well experience the highest number of days with nuisance flooding that they've ever had on record. So we'll need to wait and see, and hopefully that's not the case. But if history repeats itself, uh, it means that the outlook isn't necessarily great. Um, thank you for everything that you've shared with us so far to help us understand nuisance flooding just a little bit more. I'd like to shift gears for just a moment and ask how you got involved with this kind of work. What, um, you know, just for our aspiring oceanographers in the audience, what, what brought you to NOAA? Well, I, I had some experiences putting buoys offshore and, and working sort of in the field of, of oceanography and realized that it was something I really, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I was able to be on the ocean. I was able to use some of the mathematical skills that I developed to apply to real life to issues. And I had the opportunity to work for NOAA and I quickly joined forces and working for the group that runs all the tide gauges around the country. There was just a wealth of information and still a lot of secrets to be unlocked in the, in the data itself. And so uh, what we're finding here stems from years and years of very conscientious folks paying attention to the data and data quality and for a mission that, that has been so important for this country, sort of safe navigation. But now we're finding that it's also telling us about sea level rise and changes in flood frequency. And of course, these are issues that we're going to be dealing with with some time. And so it's, a, it's an opportunity now to help provide for future generations. Billy, do you have any final closing words to leave our listeners with today? Well, I think... You know, as I sit and look at tide gauge data uh, day after day, I think really what it's telling us is that, uh, you know, we live in a world that's dynamic. Planning for tomorrow doesn't necessarily mean that you need to assume that today's uh, world will, will be the same. We're living in an area of, during a time of change, and I think it's important to listen to uh, what history has told us thus far and as we plan for the future. So. We'll continue to monitor changes in, in flooding as it impacts you know, local communities in the U.S. as a whole, and we'll keep delivering information so it helps people plan for tomorrow. Thank you, Billy, for joining us today on Diving Deeper. To learn more about nuisance flooding, you can visit tidesandcurrents.noaa.gov. That's all for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. 